organize this whole prayer conference so for once in my life somebody else gets gosh, is anybody going to come? Because that's what I do whenever one of these events happen. But God bless her. Um, <clears throat> good morning. Welcome to 6-8. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are in this sort of little uh, five-week series talking about our purpose in the Lord and, you know, just being purposeful, living out our purpose in Christ and all that kind of stuff. And we're going through different personalities as we... Uh, uh, Explore that. Moses, we talked about last week, you know, making wise choices and things like that. This week, we're going to look at Nehemiah and what did I call it? Uh, dealing with distractions, right? Um, distracted. I, I drink too much coffee on Sunday morning, so I get a little bit. I am already ADHD. Just at, oh, hey, guys. Oh, you're back. Hey, how are you? People, people come from all the way from, like, you know, the Carolinas up here just to go to church. It's incredible. They, take some, they start driving Saturday night, and they end up here. It's the preaching. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we are in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, uh, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it... <clears throat> Though at the time I had not installed the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message, come, let's meet in the villages of the Ono Valley, which is, by the way, enemy territory for Nehemiah. And it says, but they were planning to harm me, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it, to go, leave it and go down to you? So let me pray for us really quick as we get started. Father, I, I do, uh, I pray that you would diminish distraction in this room right now from, from those things in our minds that are rolling through our minds that would keep us from hearing what you have to say to us this morning. We know that there is uh, a whole spiritual world out there that does not want us to hear what you want to say to us. So we pray that you would silence all those voices, whether or not it's just our own busyness or it's something that's trying to keep us from hearing your your voice in our life. I pray that those things would be silent for the next hour, that they cannot touch us, that they cannot speak to us, and that we would feel that presence, that we would feel your presence in, in such a way like a heavy snow on a cold, crisp morning where everything just gets muffled and we can just be in your presence alone, just have that sense about you. So I pray that you would come right now and speak to us very clearly, knowing that I'm spouting words, but it's your spirit that kind of uses all of this experience this morning to speak to each one of our hearts. So speak to us individually and speak to us as a church. Come, Holy Spirit, we just want more and more and more of your guidance. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, staying on target uh, has its challenges, doesn't it? We all live busy lives and we know that. And each one of us needs to work sort of on our ability to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Rachel actually used this phrase the other day. She said, uh, keep, keep the main thing the plain thing and the plain thing the main thing. I kind of like that. And remember, we've, we looked at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, 
And that is really the plain thing, which is the main thing for all of us as believers, uh, which says go, right? And if you actually translate it, it says as you are going. Are you laughing at me? Uh, calm down. Just keep, keep yourselves in line. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. Uh, where was I? Anyway, but <laughs> oh, it's a vineyard thing. Sorry, Rachel said it to me, so I related to you. Anyway, but go as you were, it, it really is translated as you are going. So as you are going about life, as you are doing this Christian life, as you are living this Christian life, uh, as you are, uh, you know, making, you know, using your words and, and how you walk this out, right? Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's Christ's promise to us. We call it his last command, which has turned out to be our first concern, right? His last command turns out to be our first concern. God's mission is the overarching theme of all of Scripture as it relates to Christ's completed work on the cross. The whole Bible unveils God's plan in Christ and through the Holy Spirit progressively throughout time. This is important to hear. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? I was talking to somebody this morning that the Old Testament and the New Testament have the same theme going through all... You know, I heard somebody say this week, well, God, how can I believe in God? Because the Old Testament is like all an angry God. The New Testament's all this fuzzy, nice God. No, it's not true. If you, if you take the time to study the Scriptures, God is the same God throughout the Scriptures. It's the same message. And what we see that is God's plans and purposes completely define the Bible. Right? Completely define the Bible. And, and they should be the center of our lives and our ministry as, as his people. However, we do, do know if you've walked out the Christian life at all, living out God's mission does not come without its distractions and without its opposition in our life. So we need a little background on Nehemiah to understand this passage. At the time, Jerusalem had, at the time of Nehemiah, lay with its, um, its gates and its walls in disrepair. They were bare to their enemies. They were vulnerable. They were unprotected. She had lost all of her dis- defenses. She was open to continued hurt and uh, misery. And God called Nehemiah back from far away, called Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls so his, his people could flourish and witness to be about the kingdom of God, right? And so Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king someplace far away. And like Moses, remember last week, he lived in the lap of luxury too, just like Moses. And he gave that up to follow God's calling in some ways. It, was a, it turned out to be a great time in the history of Israel, one, one of eventual revival for all of them, but it didn't come without its opposition. It didn't come without its opposition. These guys particularly continually gave Nehemiah opposition in the call to rebuild these walls, and this wasn't the first time. They had done it over and over again. Now, to personalize this, we know that we live in a world right now where people live with their walls broken down, right? They are exposed to constant and continual hurt. But God is in the business of repairing and renewing us, restoring us, right? Just as he did with his people back then. 
He wants to write a new story in us, in Christ, over all our hurts and our past hurts and our past pains to restore us, to restore order, to restore peace, to, to, to restore unity with each other and uh, to, to bring purpose and usefulness to our lives, right? And one of the lessons of Nehemiah is that we need, to, we need God to do for us what we cannot really do for ourselves. To repair, to bring recovery, to bring healing. We are participant in it, but he really does it in us. To actually believe him when he says that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, right? And this is where walls are a good thing. You might call them healthy boundaries in your life, right? And it means our relying on his wisdom and and, and cooperation with his spirit and, and cooperation with his word as well. It means that we as believers are not indifferent. We're not inactive. But we are people that choose to be engaging and partnering with God in the work of kingdom building in the world. Right? A life of purpose. Enemies have many tactics from a full frontal assault, you know, to the friendly approach with a knife behind the back. And Nehemiah faced those and all the other forms in between, right? He, he, was, he was always being attacked. His enemies had tried taunting and belittling him before this, a, a threat of assault before this, which had all been thwarted by Nehemiah's prayers and his, like, his very good preparation as he stayed on task. God worked through this man as he sought to build the kingdom of God in hand-in-hand with God, right? Today, his attack comes in this extension of a false hand of friendship. Come on, let's, let's, go, let's meet and let's talk about our issues. But let's, eat in, and let's meet in enemy territory. They don't come to him, they call him out. And Nehemiah demonstrates for us how to deal with distractions to God's mission and that our resoluteness will uh, meet Great opposition, it will meet great mockery sometimes from those that we might least expect it to come from. And the question, or one question at least for us is, are we drowning in the busyness of life? Are we drowning in all the distractions about us? Or are we able to prioritize and eliminate the distractions which eclipse God's greater purpose for us? Because there will be opposition to our lives and on our ministry. You can count on that. It will happen. It does happen. It has happened recently. So the question is, how do we deal with that? Nehemiah had earned the privilege of being opposed. Isn't that a great way to think about that? Nehemiah had earned the privilege of being opposed. And he had God's wisdom as his safety net as the thing that he fought back with. You know, 6-8 has had 10 great years. We just celebrated all that. We've prayed for favor in this community, for the Holy Spirit to clear the way for ministry among us and with others that don't yet know him in this community. And we've had great conversations. I've been having a lot of great conversations with people that don't know the Lord lately. It's awesome, right? We too are building healthy walls in order to be a shining light to the nations. Not walls to keep people out, but actually walls that help us to operate in healthy ways, in kingdom building ways. 
And our reach as a small church, our reach extends beyond the eastern main line out into Indonesia. We've done that in the past few years, Morocco, Syria, Lebanon, and many other places in the world through our global partnerships. Amen, right? We grew by leaps and bounds last year, and we are still, that is still happening for us. God is blessing this place. God is blessing you guys. We have this prayer conference coming up, you know, this coming Saturday, which is going to be a great time. Our women's retreat right on the heels of that. Sign up, ladies. And then we have also the men's retreat right after that. Sign up, men, right? And then after that, we're, we're gathering on April 6th with all these other local churches to worship together and pray together about how we all can reach this wider community as churches together. And we're doing even more beyond that. Last week, some folks answered that call to recommit their lives to Jesus. That was really profound for me. It was wonderful to me. And many others in this church, I know I've talked to a lot of you, you just feel like you're, there's something happening in you. Your faith is being built up. There's something good going on, right? And that is all healthy and good. That is wonderful. And that's what should be happening. But what does it bring with it? It brings spiritual attack. Amen. Amen. Joyous, wonderful, spiritual attack. God bless you and give praise to God that you are being attacked. It means you're doing something, right? Like Nehemiah, we have earned the privilege of being opposed. Earn the privilege. Because there are spiritual forces out there in the world that do not want you to find more freedom in Jesus. There are spiritual forces out there in the world that do not want other people to know Jesus through your ministry to them. And they will consistently fight that progress. Consistently. (laughs) And discouragement will come. I say this with a smile. Discouragement will come when there is great progress in ministry. Discouragement will come when there is great progress in ministry. Sambalot and, what a great name, right? Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they didn't wait for the work to be finished. They attacked right in the middle of it, right? We will be tempted towards discouragement and distraction and the, and the like as we seek to walk more deeply in Christ's purposes for us. But I'm encouraged by 2 Corinthians 4, Right? It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we, in a sense, are weak vessels. Jars of clay, right? But God's power is in us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Does that not encourage you? It encourages me. You can say amen, right? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. You ever feel like you're dying to self all the time, right? We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, the life of may, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. God is using you in your pain and in your struggle to bring life to other people. So our vision 
as the people of God, our vision has to rise above the distractions and the temptations and all the discouragements that we face. Looking straight into the face of Jesus always. Not acting as victims, but as warriors in the work of God. And when I say warriors, I mean warrior, warriors that, are not a, that don't fight against people, but fight the spiritual battle of building the kingdom of God. I know some people don't like that word warrior. Last, like last week when we said Christians must have a long-term outlook, right? Viewing obedience in light of the fact that God is using our lives for his great glory. Rather than seeing everything in our life for a short-term benefit, personal benefit, we realize the eternal trumps the temporal. That there's something more important about that. And that choosing obedience, even when we are hard-pressed, even when it's hard to do, is always, always, always the best option. Nehemiah was not deterred from his purpose. And believing in the supremacy of his purpose allowed him to diminish the distractions presented by his enemies. Because not every meeting leads to a kingdom outcome, right? And God's spirit is needed for wisdom and discernment during these times of life. For him to go down and meet with these guys would have taken him right off the task of building the kingdom of God. So have you ever felt that kind of a spiritual attack in your life? The distractions or or even even outright attack? Yeah, right? (laughs) When you set out to repair the spiritual walls of your life, to reinforce the strength of the word of God in your heart, to, to reinforce the, the idea of purity in your life, there seems to come with it sometimes ridicule or criticism or temptation towards distraction. Maybe in the form of old negative voices just in your own head. Maybe you're, you're your own worst enemies. Voices which say to you, you can't change. You can't be any better than this. Well, you can't change, but you can be changed, right? You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? God can transform you. That's the good news. Nehemiah teaches us not to give those voices a chance to influence. We, we spend so, many t- so much time in conversation with those negative voices. He simply says, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to have that conversation. It's not worth my time. And I agree with him. Sometimes attack comes from other people making, little, making a light of our efforts you know, towards purity and towards holiness. They patronize us. They talk down to us you know, as if they're a friend pointing out how silly we're being, right? Maybe even somebody close to us, right? And they may not want you to be transformed. They might say, well, yeah, you go follow Jesus. We'll see how that turns out, right? It's very discouraging. And this ridicule is often strongest for somebody that has just come to Christ or somebody that is recommitting their heart to Jesus, right? And as we grow older in Jesus, these temptations often become a lot more subtle in nature, don't they? But the truth of the matter is old patterns need to be changed. They do. 
The decision of offering our body and our life as a living sacrifice often feels like we are going backwards. We've, we've come to trust those things which make us comfortable and, and, and so of others around us. The extra drink, the sensual touch of somebody, the, 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 the words, the emotional encouragement from somebody other than your spouse, even that emotional relationship, attachment with somebody that you really shouldn't have it with, or just having a complaining tongue or a bitter spirit about us that we get so used to just judging people all the time, right? To seek purity often feels like we're ripping off a limb when we first start to do it. We've birthed our sin. We've reared our sin. We've nursed our sin. We, it's precious to us. And it's also precious to the others around us. It's a hard thing to change old patterns. And these things only change by fully submitting ourselves to Jesus, being fully given over to his purposes for our lives. You might even uh, experience direct frontal assault from somebody. Somebody might get mad at you at the point of verbal or even physical assault due to the choices that you're making to follow Jesus. The farther you go in walking with Christ, those old relationships and friends who expect the old you will grow increasingly more uncomfortable with the new you. But the old has died. The old is gone. The new has come. You have been resurrected with Christ. You are a new creation. That is the truth of the Scriptures. No matter how you feel about it, that is true. Right? Our part is to make sure that their anger isn't a result of our pride, like we think we're better than them now. We're no better than anybody. We want Jesus to be their stumbling block, not us. So your choices in following Jesus directly affect other people physically, financially, psychologically, emotionally, and even in spiritual ways. You may be called judgmental, even when it's farthest from your mind to be judgmental. You may be called hurtful, even when it's beyond you to want to be hurtful. You may be called arrogant and prideful when you're feeling the absolute most humbled in your whole life. Sinful patterns are always shared with other people. They always are. Destructive patterns take two to tango. Those around you are used to the way that you've operated. They find comfort in the patterns of your own sort of indifference and your own sin in life, and they've engaged with you in it to a greater or lesser degree. They're used to how you live. Al-Anon knows this. Members of Al-Anon know this really well. That's why we have Al-Anon, right? The family has always wanted that alcoholic to stop drinking and to change. Not, but they have not realized that they have been affected as well. They've also developed destructive patterns and, and habits which help them to cope and have become part of their identity. They're addicted to the old alcoholic They don't know how to handle that new healthy person. And when an alcoholic turns their life around saying no to behaviors from family and friends, they get mad. And the relationship stays broken given that they can't break patterns together and walk together. Because prophets go unaccepted in their own hometown, don't they? Like crabs in a bucket. Right? When one wants to climb out, the other ones grab him and hold him back. When you grow in Christ, you disrupt those close to you. 
you disrupt them. An attack is inevitable. In some way, shape, or form, it is inevitable. And our sudden seeking of purity and our sudden seeking of holiness in Christ makes others uneasy and they start to question themselves something that they're not really ready to do yet. But that's part of your witness. Getting people to look at themselves in light of who God is. And this is what happened with Nehemiah, right? He's, he's followed the call of God to go and rebuild these walls and rebuild these gates, but it's disrupted the normalcy of others, of life for others. They don't like this change. They're losing power. They are crabs in a bucket. It may affect their economy or, you know, frighten them to see the Israelites getting more strength and identity. They, they like their slave labor. They like things the way that they are. And they're upset. And the tools that they've used up to this point have not worked because God has prevailed through the willingness of this man staying on task. And now these enemies resort to an invitation of friendship and compromise. Waving Nehemiah over with one hand while holding a knife behind the back with the other. But here's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah shows no compromise with sin. No, not one iota of compromise. Because although it's promising peace and friendship, sin always has your destruction in mind. Even when it feels good, it has your destruction in mind. It really does. Satan's described as a roaring lion in Scripture, right? Seeking to devour, uh, seeking people he can devour, 1 Peter chapter 5. And we know lions are able to crush bone and cut through flesh like butter, right? And Satan is depicted as one that can destroy us or, or has the power to do some damage. And destru- the destruction, destructiveness of sin should not be taken lightly in our walks. But Satan is also depicted as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11 with flattery and promises and compromise and accommodation, always promising, you know, his way won't cost a thing, right? Just, uh, just once it won't hurt. You don't have to go. Stay, hang out. Come on, what are you better than us now? And Nehemiah simply answers uh, very, you know, easily to them and, and, and rightly four times, I'm not coming, I got a job to do. I'm not coming, I got a job to do. No, no need to defend, no need to engage in the conversation or entertain the enemy. Just say no, God's got me for a purpose. Jesus, tempted in the desert, you remember that story. He answered simply, he refuted Satan with the word of God, with scripture. That's what you can do, right? The spiritual equivalent of speak to the hand. I got nothing to say to you, (laughs) right? That's what it is. When rebuilding our spiritual lives, being committed to his mission, there's no need to compromise or to entertain the enemy. No need. Whether voices in your own head or from other people, right? Sometimes we need to break relationship with someone when it interferes with our walk with Jesus. Which may be for, uh, for good forever. They're just an unhealthy person that is unwilling to change. Or maybe only for a time or maybe just to set up healthy boundaries around that relationship. That, that has to be a question that you wrestle with constantly. 
But up to this time, Nehemiah had already endured ridicule and threats and now this false friendship. And later on, he endures even more threats and even gossip. But each time, he simply puts for them off of the word and, 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 he, and he prepares really well and he just does his job and he stays on task for God's purpose. Nehemiah, just like Moses last week, has worked hard for the nation of Israel Hard for the people, denying his own chances at great riches as the cupbearer to the king, showing himself to be committed to a greater kingdom purpose in his life. And so when we face the rebuilding of our own spiritual lives, spiritual warfare is always evident. And it doesn't tire. It doesn't stop. (laughs) It's going to keep going until Jesus comes back or you're dead, right? You're pushing up daisies someplace. It'll use whatever tactics it can. False accusation and gossip and the proposal of friendly compromise, seeking to inject insecurity into your thought process. As we see in Nehemiah 6, verse 9, it says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. Just keep me on task. Give me what I need. He doesn't listen to the lies. He just simply confronts it with truth in his heart and he goes directly back to God where he can draw spiritual strength from. He keeps his eyes on the prize, right? So what's your role in rebuilding the ruins of this world? What is your role? Nehemiah as a leader didn't sit on the sidelines, but he demonstrated sort of this biblical principle of servant leadership, right? Like Jesus, in that he led in the charge. He got out there. He was willing to get his hands dirty along with the other builders. God's work needs to be done God's way. If it's going to stand the test of time and the trials of persecution and oppression. So are you ministering? in your own strength and wisdom? Or are you keeping your eyes on Jesus, simply not engaging with the temptations of life? Because great purpose diminishes all distraction. Great purpose diminishes all distraction. So is your purpose in Christ great enough to keep you on task in the front lines of service in God's kingdom when the arrows are flying at you? The biblical principle of servanthood defines all of God's people. We serve our master, Jesus, who was a servant himself, right? And each of us is tempted to allow the distractions of life to redirect our attention and all of our energies. The busyness of life here on the main line, right? The busyness of even ministry can, can, can rob us of the joy of service and, and, and of seeing the completed work. It can do that if we're just doing it in our own strength. What aspects of our lives need to be radically altered to allow God's task the place of priority in life? How have your own decisions, your own lifestyle, impeded the work of ministry? What corrective measures can be taken right now today to change that? I'd love for you to spend a moment just in quiet prayer. Why don't you close your eyes and I want you to define 
your sense of God's purpose in your life right now? What's God stirring up in your heart as a result of all this? How does that lead towards a greatest, greater purpose in the future? And I'm just going to pray you into that. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would see very clearly right now. Bring to mind those things where we need to make adjustments. Bring to mind those things that we are holding so tightly onto that we need to just let go. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to us right now. Just take a minute and sit quietly with the Lord. Let Him speak to you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, thank you for being present here this morning and speaking clearly to us. I know some of us are still struggling with all the voices probably that fight for our attention. I pray that you would silence those. And then like those bells we're hearing right now, that your voice would ring true in our lives, that you would speak to us clearly through your word and just through our prayer life, giving us a direction, renewing a sense of purpose for your kingdom in our hearts. We ask for a great life, not a mediocre life. We want a life filled with purpose. We want a life of kingdom building We want to see other people know you. We want to own Matthew 28. And we want to be willing to go through anything to see that that happens, that all the nations would know your name and that a remnant from every people group on this earth would follow you and walk with you.